With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at The Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is the All Ball Podcast. All basketball, all the time. Um, I think next week we'll talk some recruiting. Next week we have a great special guest for you. We'll get him on. Uh, we got a lot of things I want I want to get to. Let me start with the news of the moment. Russell Westbrook has been traded for Chris Paul. And like four first round draft picture. The rights to switch to blah, 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 blah. Right? Like, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you know the details. So of the questions that are asked most of me, I would say most of you would be like, hey, what do you think of the deal? Okay. I love Chris Paul. I tell people this all the time. If I could play like any guy in the NBA, Chris Paul in his prime, more so than Steve Nash in his prime. Steve Nash was a better creative passer, probably a better shooter. He had a wilder arrays, uh, array of finishing shots. Um, and Steve Nash, I thought, went left better. Chris Paul, he goes right and he's going right. And there's nothing you could do. But Chris Paul has a a defensive bulldog mentality that Steve Nash just didn't have. And I, I felt like, I also feel like he was one of those guys where he was, when he got to his spot, he was going to make it. Whereas Nash, it did feel like shooting. He was a great shooter, but he kind of did it last resort. And maybe some of it was the error in basketball. I don't know. I love Nash, but the defensive end, you take Chris Paul. So I'd probably take Chris Paul. He was an unbelievable pick and roll player. Um, David, David West should send him a portion of his check. Any check he ever got, he should send it to, to Chris Paul because that's the dude that got him paid. Um, that said, like, look, man, they weren't running. When they have James Harden in the game, unless they had Clint Capella setting the ball screen, they're not really running screen roll. 
And when they did, a lot of times they wouldn't run it for you. It was a weird fit, right? You have two dominant ball handlers. You have a team that values kind of analytics, drive, and kick. And you have a guy that's a pick-and-roll point guard that's the second-best player on the team. Then you add in this ridiculous four-year contract with all the money that they promised him when they traded him, and then it became obvious that they shouldn't give it to him. They thought about not giving it to him. Then they did give it to him. And they're left with a terrible contract for a really good player who's not the player he used to be. And they trade him for Russell Westbrook. Now, Westbrook is not the guy he used to be. He's had a couple of knee surgeries. Uh, He's gone through a year where he had the yips at the free throw line. Takes bad shots. Has some bad habits. He doesn't play nearly as hard defensively as his reputation would tell you. But when he chooses to do so, he's still a complete freak of nature defensively, athletically, and aggressiveness. But I don't understand how this ends up with a championship. In addition to Russell's inefficiency, and I'll point out that in fairness, Russell Westbrook played great basketball and tried to facilitate the growth of Paul George's career for a good portion of the season. And if he simply does that with James Harden, he'll be fine. But when it gets to nut cutting time, Russell Westbrook's a high volume, low percentage shooter. Russell tries to do things himself and James Harden doesn't play any defense. And oh yeah, by the way, oh yeah, by the way, you don't really have Mike D'Antoni doesn't have a the same staff he had last year. He doesn't have the backing of the ownership, and so if Russell Westbrook challenges him, whose side does Tillman Fertitta actually have? The same thing can be said from James Harden. If those guys don't get in line, and maybe it's because that's why they signed Tyson Chandler, then Mike D'Antoni's the one to go because he has no backing from ownership no matter how well they've done the past couple of years. So I don't love it, but do I like it? Yes, because Russell Westbrook at this point in his career is in fact better than Chris Paul. And I would like to see how Russell Westbrook plays when there's five guys outside the three-point line. As for Oklahoma City, look, the issue is what it's always been. They don't believe they can get, they almost know they can't get a high-quality free agent. I like Blake Griffin's from Oklahoma City. He didn't want to play there. Trey Young's from Norman, which is just south of Oklahoma City. I would doubt he'd want to play there. Maybe he would. He's a little little different. I mean, he could be an absolute god if he did. So in order to be successful, you have to draft your guys or trade for guys. But man, they bailed on this Paul George and uh, Russell Westbrook experiment really, really, really quick. Really quick. And I would guess that Sam Presti saw something that goes like, mm, this is not getting better. We can't add the right pieces. Let's just get out of it. I think the most fascinating thing about the reunion of James Harden and Russell Westbrook was I had some friends in the front office of the Oklahoma City Thunder back when these two were together. And, and they would say, hey, look, we, we think that we don't think Russell Westbrook's a point guard. And he's at his absolute best when James Harden is the point. And so, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how how he handles it. How, How they handle, if they can recapture some of that glory of the past. If they can do that, if Russell can play off the basketball some, that's where he's at his best. Get back to being a cutter and a slasher and a catcher and a finisher. One of the things that, that's always, and my dad used to say this to people all the time, is we have a tendency to look sometimes at assist totals and a guy who can pass and say, well, he's a, he's a great passer. 
And we don't realize that some guys are better passers. Drew Holiday, for example, another Southern California guy. Drew Holiday, I saw him play at Campbell Hall High School. And he was playing in the Tournament of Champions at Ocean View. And I sat with Ben Howland, and he'd already committed to play for Ben. And Ben's like, you know, he wants to be a point, but he's not really a point. And I watched him play, and I was like, man, this is one of my favorite high school players I've ever seen play. He was so smooth, so effortless, played both ends of the floor, got into the other team's the best play. They played actually Santa Margarita, who had uh, Michael Thompson and Clay Thompson. And Drew was just the best player on the court. It was not close. And um, I just thought, like, wow, this is a great player. But he was exactly what my father had long thought or what Ben Howland thought, which is a great passing, too, but not a point guard. That's what Russell Westbrook is. James Harden's actually more of a point guard. Now, he's had to become more of a scorer, some out of necessity and some just out of skill. But I, I, I do think there's part of this that works. The problem with it will be that Russell can be really hard to coach, can be kind of like a raptor, right? Like he's always kind of testing you. And you got Mike D'Antoni, who's never paid much attention to defense. He's going to have a new staff. He doesn't have the backbone because he doesn't have the backing of ownership or management. He just has to figure out a way to get it to make it work. And boy, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think they got better. I think long-term those last two years, of the deal are going to be bad, but the last two years of Chris Paul's deal would have been bad. And, but I don't think it got them better to the point where they're better on paper than the Lakers or the Clippers. The one thing they would have going over the Lakers is the cohesion for the most part um, of all of those guys. You know, like it's basically the same team with the exception of, put Russell Westbrook better player at this point in his career than Chris Paul. So you are kind of running it back with one big change, kind of like the Raptors last year. And then for the Clippers, like, look, the Clippers flaw is pretty obvious, right? The Clippers outside of Kawhi Leonard, tell me the championship experience that they have. Doc Rivers. Okay. But you don't have it in the bench. and You don't have it in starters. Maybe they can add some of it. So I'm fascinated by this move. As for Chris Paul and does it work in Miami? You know, it's interesting. A lot like people have said the reason the New York, New York Mets, uh, New York Mets, New York Knicks did not land a free agent is because of James Dolan. I don't believe that to be the case. Is it possible that Kyrie Irving didn't want to play for James Dolan owned team? Yes. Yes. But they have an all African-American front office and head coach. They absolutely put themselves in position to, to bring in a star player, to be ready to go, and it didn't happen. Part of it was KD got hurt and he wanted to go there, couldn't get anybody else to go with him because Kawhi wanted to go to L.A., not to New York. Like There were some other circumstances there. If you think it's about ownership, then why wouldn't more guys go to Miami? Big market, beautiful weather, they've won championships before. They got Pat Riley. They got Eric Spolstra, who's well-regarded. He's a championship-caliber coach, and yet they couldn't get anybody. There are other mitigating circumstances. One, you're not New York and you're not L.A., but also, two, some of it is just luck of the draw. If they get Chris Paul, does that make them a great team? No, but in the East, it could make them competitive, and I think if you're Miami, you got to go for it. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER And here we are reacting to the idea that the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Clippers are the favorite to win the NBA championship. What in the actual hell took place? Now, I can be critical of some of my media brethren who some have been duped, some have been led astray, and some quite possibly had the story right at the time. Like, this is a big thing that that I don't know if people understand. You're, you're getting second and maybe even firsthand information. I don't know if Kawhi was, in fact, a source or if it was Kawhi's uncle. Or, or uh, But there are times in which if you ask somebody, if you ask somebody during that very moment, where's he going? It may be a different answer than comes to fruition. I'll give you an example. Uh, in 2012, I changed companies. I've been at ESPN for 10 years, nine years up in Connecticut. And... It was announced, I think, in July of 2012 that I'd be leaving in September. And um, and and uh, that's when I, ch- I, I changed my career path from ESPN to CBS. I can tell you unequivocally that in May, I was made an offer that was the exact dollar amount that I wanted, that I thought I deserved, excuse me, from ESPN, five years long. 
the the amount of years I thought would be perfect for me. Um, and I actually went out to dinner that night with five different couples. And had you asked them when they were driving home, where's Doug Gottlieb going to sign? If it was important to anybody the way that the Clippers getting Kawhi Leonard was important to people, where I was going, they would have said unequivocally, He's going back to ESPN. Why? Because I told everybody I was going back to ESPN. I was asked at dinner and I kind of made an announcement. Hey, don't know if this is, if it's, it's not official yet, but it feels like we're going to be around. You're stuck with us for the next five years. That was it. And we all toasted. It was great. I've, and the only thing that changed really was at some point later that night, I was walking around Foxwoods Casino. It's a true story. One of my buddies who had coached my daughters in soccer. And he's like, man, I coached your daughters in soccer this year. It was great. And I was like, my daughters at the time were six years old. I just turned six. He's like, it was great. It was so much fun. They're so silly. They got great energy. They're really fun kids. Wish you would have been there. And it was like ringing in my head, like, wish you would have been there. Wish you would have been there. Wish you would have been there. And then I thought to myself when I was driving home that night with my wife, and the way it worked was there was a Sarah McLaughlin concert. Don't get me wrong. I like Sarah McLaughlin. She's fine. Not my jam for a concert. So the wives went to the concert and we gambled and walked around and drank. And then ultimately we had a car service take us home. And I remember driving home that night or riding home that night thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I can do this for five more years where I'm leaving for work before they get home and coming home when they're going to bed. And then every weekend for five months out of the year, I'm doing college basketball. And then I got some stuff that I'm doing over the summer. Like when is the point in time when I get to hang out and coach baseball, coach basketball, you know, see them ride a horse or do whatever. My my point is simply in that moment in time, had you asked my friends, had you asked my wife even, what's he going to do? She would have said, well, easy. He's resigning. And then another offer came my way and The money was slightly more, but it was just different in terms of where I was working, where I was living, how I was, uh, how my time would be, would be changed. And so I changed jobs, but that decision wasn't until like a month later. So I'm not being defensive solely of my friends, but I can defend the fact that sometimes stories and outcomes change and people didn't get it wrong to begin with. So the summation of that is basically this. Look, I, I get it. I have friends and you may think I'm trying to not make them look bad. I don't really care. Like it's part of the job. You get a story, you better have two sources. You hope that it's right. But stories do in fact change. I'll give you one example, you know, professionally. I give you the personal one of when I left ESPN. I was at ESPN. And if you remember, I broke the story that the SEC was expanding, was welcoming in Texas A&M, Missouri, and the plan was, plan was at the time to go after two additional schools that end up getting blocked. And I look like a guy who only had half the story, but that was in fact the plan. Right? Because there were thoughts that the Big Ten was going after Georgia Tech in order to get the Atlanta market and the SEC wanted to get Georgia Tech. That was, and Clemson. And what happened was there was a unification of the Kentuckys of the world that didn't want a Louisville in. The Georgias, the, you know, the Floridas, the South Carolinas that, that, that frankly, the term is cock block those, those schools from getting in. 
And they only welcomed him in Texas A&M and Missouri. And I had on good authority that all four teams were going to be welcomed. Two teams were, in fact. Missouri's athletic director, Mike Alden, at the time said I didn't know what I was talking about when I had spoken to people in his athletic department. I'd spoken to people in the A&M athletic department. I actually knew Texas A&M's basketball team at the time was traveling overseas. I talked to three different people who were at a dinner where boosters and the coaches and the players were all told this was happening. And yet then I'm called out. And then when it comes down and Clemson and Georgia Tech don't get invites, they're like, oh, you didn't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I did. Texas was, in fact, going to join the Pac-12 until until it happened. Until it happened. That they didn't join. So I'm not protecting my guys. I'm not protecting people who don't work for the company I work for. I'm just saying I didn't have a good read on Kawhi. The, the Clipper thing was out there for a long time. I found it to be interesting that the Clippers were a team that you grew up in Southern California. And again, I'm an older generation. I'm before the Lob City generation. They were the laughing stock of the NBA. And now they're the favorite to win the NBA championship. And that's just never happened in my lifetime that somebody would choose that brand over the Lakers brand, especially considering the Lakers, no matter how they played last year, they still have LeBron and Anthony Davis and could have had Kawhi Leonard. Could have had him. All right, let's get to how everyone fits where they are. All right, let's let's look at first the Lakers roster. Um, I think there's some good things to it. I do. There will be other people that kill it just because they want to kill the Lakers. They want to point out the flaws to what Rob Palenka has done. I'll just give you kind of my honest opinion here. Um, I wish they would have gotten a Marcus Morse. I wish they would have gotten more shooting, but I also understand that sometimes there's limitations in the market. I don't think that Danny Green is as good as his shooting numbers from last year, but he is coming off a year in which he shot 45% from three. I would say the biggest flaw in their roster is who else is going to create a shot, right? Who else is going to make a play? This is a league not just of shooters and shot makers, but it's, it's a league where you need people to break down the defense, to start playing downhill. And I like that they brought Caruso back. I'm not sure I understand a couple of the signings. Like the Quinn Cook signing, that one I kind of don't get, right? Like he's a second or third point guard. I guess you need three. Maybe they think that Rondo uh, is more third point guard now, and it's Caruso first and Quinn Cook second. But he just does not have the defensive versatility that a Caruso has. And he hasn't shown himself to be anywhere near a starting player. And they don't really have, I mean, I guess Avery Bradley becomes the swing kind of two that can guard the point, but they just don't have other guys that create shots. I uh, do think they play overpaid for Danny Green, but I think that's the position they were in. I don't love Contavious Caldwell-Pope, but if he's the eighth or ninth guy, I don't mind him. Like at that role, he's not bad. Troy Daniels, strictly a shooter, kind of a role player. And if you're wondering, I don't think Corver is a guy. Like, they just don't feel like Corver can guard anybody anymore. And in the playoffs, remember, he struggled to make shots. They struggled to keep him on the floor with Cleveland. That was two years ago. Two years removed from that, not sure he finds the home here. Would they take an Avery Brad, um, an Andre Godala? Yeah. Um, but in some ways, signing all these guys up maybe means that Godala won't factor into their decision, won't be their guy, even though he was rep by Palinka. 
I still think when he's bought out, he's a guy that they will try and move mountains to get because he gives them that defensive versatility they love, even if he's not the shot maker they like. Jared Dudley felt like he was over the hill last year, even though I like him. I mean, everybody likes uh, Jared Dudley personally. He just turned 34 today, the time of this recording. But again, the big flaw of this roster would be the starting lineup does not appear to be that great. It has some two great defensive players, or maybe three. Danny Green's a good defense player. Avery Brad's a good defense player. And Anthony Davis is a very good defense player. LeBron could be defensively, but I don't know how he'll move. He's lost a bunch of weight. I don't know how it moved this year. And then whoever that fifth starter is, they go big to Marcus Cousins. That's not a great defensive player, but early on, if a team plays a traditional big, he'll be fine. When they go small, would it be a Caruso? That's a pretty good defense. If LeBron becomes the worst defensive player in your lineup, you're a good team. To put a kind of cap on it, I like their roster. I think it has some shooting. I think it has defensive versatility. I think it has some experience. I think it has a lot of toughness. The the only flaw to it I see is the inability to have anybody outside of the LeBron James and maybe Anthony Davis break down a defense and create shots for others. I want to share with you this uh, this story for you. Baxter Holmes has a piece out on ESPN.com, and it discusses what I, I you know, it discusses the overuse or overpracticing of athletes at a young age. And it uses some very specific um, examples of guys who have injuries. It talks about uh, Julius Randle and how midway through the fourth quarter, the 19-year-old drove to the hoop, leapt, collapsed, and uh, he ended up breaking his leg. His rookie season was over 14 minutes after it began. And what happens is, some doctors will evaluate and say he overused the leg. We have this with injuries and to say AAU players are playing too many games. And here's, here's my issue with the assumption that too many games, too much wear and tear. I've spoken to orthopedic surgeons and they've all kind of said the same thing. Like the truth is that you're not really overusing any sort of muscles. Now, with my own son who's 10 years old, he plays a bunch of different sports. And I do think that if you've ever played different sports, you know, you use different muscles and different muscle groups together. And so with that in mind, um, my son plays tennis and baseball and flag football. I, I kind of want him to play tackle football. He wants to play. It's kind of a fight at home. Um, and he plays basketball. Now he plays a lot of all of it, but the idea of being overused, like, look, kids are going to play basketball all the time. Like, no, Yes, they play way more tournaments than they used to, but they play way less pickup basketball than they used to. So they were still playing basketball, still putting themselves in harm way, harm's way. And, you know, some kids are ball is life guys, and they live in the gym, and I do think they should be more well-rounded. And what you're left with is something I'm left with as a parent. Like, how do I push my kid to succeed in a sport knowing that if I don't, it's going to be too big a gap to catch up to when he's 14, 15 years old, especially a kid who's going to be at best my size, right? It's like six feet tall. Like if you're six feet tall, you have to be more skilled, have more basketball IQ than anybody in order to make plays and understand what's going on. Pure athletes, they don't need it as much, although it does obviously help them. And you just need gameplay in order to understand time, score, possession, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I'm not saying that these doctors are wrong, but let's be honest. Genetics play the biggest factor in where how you hurt what you hurt, how your body is constructed, how sturdily. Your diet plays a factor. Does overuse? Sometimes. Do we not develop athletes into all-around athletes? Okay, I'm sure people specialize at too young of an age. But the only thing that overuse in terms of basketball is it is more landing, more pounding, more chances of landing off balance, and that's when you hurt yourself. But playing basketball itself is not the type of sport where you're going to have broken legs, broken bones, torn up Achilles and muscles, unless you have something genetic, something dietary, or you land awkwardly. And the only thing that playing a bunch of times does is gives you more opportunities for more awkward landings. So to me, it's, yeah, there's a limit but it's more one emotional of understanding all the different sports and not being as locked in on one sport and then building up your entire body, which may cut down on some of the injuries. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. David Thorpe is a partner, lead analyst for TrueHoop.com, and they just launched their virtual player at theprotrainingcenter.com where uh, he coaches players and coaches uh, like he does his pro players who come in and, and work out with him. You know the NBA so well. Let me just, let's just start. Does Harden and Westbrook Part 2 work? I think short-term... Okay, like a, li- a little bit. I-, I think they moved the needle a little bit short-term. I'm not convinced absent uh, a wholesale system change with uh, lame duck coach Mike D'Antoni and a brand-new staff. Absent that, I don't, I don't trust it long-term, Doug. No, I don't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's like a third part to the, the, the equation that people haven't discussed because all morning we just discussed, hey, Westbrook and then Chris Paul and – but we'll get to the Mike D'Antoni element of it. Yeah. Um, I do think there's an irony there for Daryl Morey, a guy who has valued analytics and championed them to a level that until he did it, hadn't previously maybe been seen in the NBA valuing a player like Russell Westbrook, who is the mo- the highest volume, most inefficient high volume three point shooter in the NBA like this. Doesn't this go counter to who he is and what he believes in? So (laughs) that's why I mentioned the kind of the sea change in in how they play. Uh, So first of all, and and Dale and I are, I would say very friendly. I've known each other a long time and I spent a lot of time talking and texting over the years in person and mostly on the phone. Uh, and, uh, cause he's had players of mine that, you know, that I've trained or whatever. And I just value his knowledge. He's a great, he's really a great guy to talk to. Uh, I think he's always felt like the analytics are a part of the story. And, uh, but the story begins, at least in his mind, with acquiring, uh, you know, just fantastic players, difference makers. And then you fill in the gaps around it. And then, and then you kind of also choose how you stylistically want to play. And then, of course, you got to find a coach that wants to play that way. Uh, he's played fast. He's played slow. They've always shot a lot of threes. This is, you know, I'm writing a piece for Troop next week, so I've got a full week to dive into it. But they need to come up with a system, and I think there are some options that they have where they're not asking Russell Westbrook to shoot a lot of threes unless uh, uh, and until maybe Russell Westbrook becomes a better three-point shooter, which 
which is possible. Part of his, his problem, Doug, is shot selection. As you know, uh, it's one thing to be able to learn to shoot, and not everyone can learn to shoot to different degrees. Obviously, talent in shooting plays a factor, but even if he was a better shooter in terms of mechanics and rhythm and all that, or consistency with the mechanics, his selection's bad enough. So uh, you start missing shots, you begin to press a little bit. Uh, he doesn't have a shooter's mentality for sure uh, in a few different areas, and, uh, and the end result is you just can't ask him to play like I mean, if you, if you looked at this on paper, Doug, you would say, well, if Russell Westbrook just plays the way Chris Paul plays, only he's better and more durable, typically. He'll soak up a lot more minutes. Uh, they'll be a little bit better than they were last year, which was they were one of the best few teams in the league last year, you know, the last three quarters of the season. But uh, I don't think that um, it works that way on the court. And that's why I think initially there'll be a honeymoon period. Uh, but I, I, unless there's an acceptance of, of, of a, a different way for Russell, I think there's going to be pushback, and I think Harden is going to get very frustrated. It wouldn't surprise me one bit, for example, to, for, for Harden to be the next star to say, I'm out of here. Uh, I don't think it happened, you know, November, December, but if it doesn't get fixed in the, in the early part of 2020, I could see that happening. It is interesting that Daryl has really tried everything, right? I mean, they, they tried the Dwight Howard thing. They thought Jeremy Lin would be a thing. Um, they obviously tried the Chris Paul thing and now they tried this and there've been different incarnations of it. I think in the short term, they got better. Uh, I do, I do think, I, I think we're kind of killing Chris Paul. Like the last two years of that deal I, are, are not going to be great. But when I watched him, when they had Capella, he's still great. Yeah. He's an unbelievable screen role player. The, the problem was when Capella, when they went to go small and they would just high ball screen for a mismatch, he can't really beat, you know, a, a three or even a four off the dribble. And he can't create, he's not that, that guy anymore. And he doesn't feel comfortable, you know, standing around and waiting for James Harden to pass him the basketball so much. So I, I, I kind of feel like we're underselling how effective Chris Paul could be because there were some playoff moments that weren't great. And because he'd been injured in key moments in the playoffs uh, more in his prime Westbrook's interesting because when he was with the thunder and I will grant you this is a long time ago when he was with the thunder, I'm friendly with a couple of the guys in their front office then. And they said like, look, the truth is James Harden's our point guard in the fourth quarter. And Russ is okay with it because he's a great cutter. My, my one thought on Russ is, and I obviously now he's played a different way for the last six, seven years. Yeah. And it's really yeah. hard. Now you're like, you're going to try and relearn something you used to do back, you know, early in your career. But won't the lane be more spread out? And now he's not a great finisher. I think people think because he's an explosive athlete that he's a great finisher. But won't he finish at a higher percentage? Won't that help him? Uh, I, it won't help him from the free throw line and from three. But isn't there the chance to get to the cup easier because most times there'll be nobody at the basket waiting for him? Well, well the only guy be, be waiting would be the guy guarding Capella, and then you're, you're kind of caught in a pickle because if you commit to Westbrook's drive and Capella has an easy lot because he can jump to you know, 13 feet. Uh, so on, on the finishing part, uh, I, I actually think he's, he is a great finisher. I, I think what you said is right because statistically it's easy to prove that you're right. But I think that goes back to shot selection, too. I think he drives into a crowd too much and hopes to get a foul 
or just thinks he's Superman and can make all those shots. And you just can't. It's, a, it's just an amazing lesson uh, that I work with athletes on every level all the time. You stop, stop taking contested shots anywhere you are. Let's show like Zach Randolph, who just has ungodly touch, or Blake Griffin, who are just incredible at kind of finishing through contact. It's just not a good shot. Uh, but, yeah, in theory, uh, it goes back to what I was saying. If they, if they change the way they play, and, and he, I think there's things he can do in the post. I think he, there's a lot of things he can do as a cutter. I think that it's, it's going to be a net positive. Uh, it's just, here's the thing. It's an arms race, right, in the West. Uh, Gold, uh, Houston absolutely was a contender. I, I gave them a 40% chance to beat Golden State two years ago before the series. And, of course, they lost that series. Uh, this year I thought it was much less likely that they could win, and then, of course, they didn't. But it doesn't take away from the great season they had after not a great start. And I think the Capella injury, as you mentioned, was a big factor. So the, I think the needle has – I think they've been, they were incrementally better, a little bit better this year. The problem is Utah is much better. Denver just added Jeremy Grant. They're, and they're young, and, and now, get, now they've got some experience with not one but two seven-game series under their belt in the playoffs, you know, which uh, adds a little gray to your hair. Uh, of course, we know what happened elsewhere. Whiteside becomes a very good backup to Nurkic for a, a terrific – and maybe underrated Portland team. Uh, the West, I have it as can, eight contenders. Can I give you another team that I actually think has a chance to make the playoffs that no one's talking about? Sacramento. I like Phoenix. I like Phoenix. Like, oh, okay. Ricky, R- Ricky yeah. Rubio is a good defender. They've been dying yep, for a point is. guard. Mm-hmm. They've been dying for a point guard, and they got, they got rid of some of, the, some of the poison in that locker room. You know, they, they, had, they just had, they had some issues with 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 uh, Josh Jackson, you know they, he, you know they they just yeah. everybody thought that he was a culture cure, and turns out he was a culture killer, and I mean they have one of the elite scorers in the NBA. Um, I, like I don't know if it happens this year, but uh, again, my my point is, and this is why, and I want to get to the roster construction of some of these teams in a second. Why I, I saw Houston added Tyson Chandler today. I think that's a mistake. Tyson Chandler can't play anymore, and you need yeah. some young guys on your bench because the the regular season is so rigor so rigorous that if you don't have young guys that have fresh legs that can carry you through the regular season, you end up playing your vets too much, and they have nothing left in the postseason. Well, so I, I completely endorse what you just said. I just I just did a Denver show last night where I talked about how I think Denver should play super fast instead of relatively slow. Uh, uh, Jokic is such a great rebounder and outlet passer, and then you could always go half court with them if you can't score early in transition, but you can wear teams down, and they are a deep team. But go back to your Rubio point. Uh, most people probably don't remember this, but I, I've had to follow the league pretty closely for a long time. And when they had uh, Pekovic and Kevin Love, I watched all their games, many, many of their games, if not most of their games. And uh, Rubio is maybe the best post-feeder off the dribble that I've ever seen in terms of finding creative ways to get the big guy the ball. It's not just a simple drive and dish that you and I, well, you did it more than I did. You were a much better player than me, but I used to try to do that. And, of course, people have been doing it for, for generations. But Rubio does it in such creative ways. And so their big guy, who's pretty talented, is going to get, as long as he can catch the ball, which I don't think his hands are bad, they're going to have to get better because Rubio makes some pretty incredible bounce passes off drives you don't see coming, and the defense doesn't see it coming either, which is why it's genius. And so, yeah, his numbers are going to explode 
because of Ricky. But but still, I think I gave you eight teams yeah. that are all better, obviously, before injuries. Uh, and so that's that's my point. The West is so loaded, maybe the most loaded it's ever been. And we've had some West eight playoff seeds that won like you know fifty games. I think it's better now, and that's why Houston has got to figure this out because it's just the competition is too fierce. Otherwise, does does Chris Paul? What does let's say he ends up in in Miami, and they yeah. probably have to involve a third team, but that seems to be the one right where yeah. Um, that seems to be the one that that makes some sense. Um, does what does he? How does he fit with Jimmy Butler? Okay, so uh, there's another team I think makes some sense. I don't know that it'll work out, but uh, to me, Detroit has. Uh, uh, I, I agree with what you said to start this conversation. The, the, those those two so are oil and water, though, aren't they? Blake and him. I don't know. Yeah, that, you know better than me being out there. I don't know if they can ever work together. Harden has just, he just rejoined with Westbrook. I've heard they're actually friends. Um, Miami, so here's the thing on Chris Paul. Early in his career, and maybe, maybe you're more connected to this part of the story than, than I am, because I don't know the answer to this, but early in his career, I mean, four or five years in, uh, he was a fun guy to play with. I actually went to a game in New Orleans where uh, they played, he was in New Orleans, they played Utah with Derek Williams, and I, I was doing a big study, just a personal study for ESPN, on those two players. Then you recognize the top two point guards in the league. And Derek Williams was a jerk before the game. I got there two hours early, I watched all the guys warm up like I always do, and I mean, he's just razzing guys, they come in, and you could just see he was a malcontent immediately, which surprised me, I didn't really know that much about it. CP was just so different. He was just a breath of fresh air for every guy coming in. It was a relatively big game because Derek Williams' team always kind of beat New Orleans' team back then with, with Chris Paul, even though I thought Chris Paul was better. Uh, and that is not the case anymore, Doug. I, I don't hear people enjoying their time playing with Chris Paul in L.A. and in Houston. I heard some announcers, uh, some uh, journalists that are friends of mine yesterday on a podcast talk about how at one point last year they literally read – James Harden's list, they were sitting close to the court when Chris Paul complained about something and Harden's response is, it's always effing something with you. And that tells a big story. He is uh, malcontent now. And so I don't know how it goes with Jimmy Butler, who I think actually is a pretty good guy, better than maybe his reputation is, but he's a hard-driven guy. Uh, Maybe because Chris Paul is so competitive, which I think he is, that by then, Pat Raleigh's really good. Like, I don't think the Heat are a great, a well-run organization, A to Z, but on the court, they do a great job of being a very professional product. And, and Pat Riley has, is one of the few guys in the league, you probably agree, that has the kind of the gravitas to organize, you know, someone like Chris Paul and, and, and Jimmy and say, hey guys, we, we gotta get along here. But I'm curious how Butler feels about this. He didn't, he didn't sign up for this if indeed Chris Paul's the guy that he partners with. Yeah, it's it's going to be super interesting. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. 
That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What do you think of the Lakers roster? I don't love it. I, I, I see the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, to me, are a more fully formed team today. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd favor them to win the West regular season. I'm not going to go into the playoffs. We have no idea what these teams will look like by the time we get to April. But uh, I, I like Denver and Utah both more for the regular season. But still, the Clippers will be right there. They're obviously very good. The other teams are, too. I think L.A. is going to take some time. I happen to think LeBron is still amazing. Anthony Davis, beyond amazing as well. Uh, I don't love Rondo. I don't I, – Frank Vogel's got his hands full. I don't, uh, I don't I, understand. The, the, Rondo, the Rondo one is the one that I, I don't like. Now, yeah. maybe he doesn't Rondo play like that it. much. I, I, yeah. he, just, he can't guard anybody anymore. And do, you think, I don't, do you think LeBron plays the one like they're saying? Well, I what, do, what, and what I think, mean, I think Caruso – He plays the one I all the time. Car- I think Caruso is the guy who comes off the bench and becomes yeah. moves him to moves him back to four. When they go small, yeah. I think Caruso's the guy that they. I, I don't really get like Quinn Cook doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Rondo and I know the. I think they'll leave a spot open to hopefully get Andre Godala. Um, yeah. and you know Troy Daniels is just a sniper and come in and shoot. I don't like KCP normally, but if he's your ninth or tenth guy, I don't hate it. Just because you know against backups he's fine, um, but well, I, 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 maybe, maybe he's maybe he's their sixth man like Lou Williams is. He's not he's not Lou Williams, but if he he's can score better, Williams. he's actually good. No, no, Kuzma, Kuzma is that guy. Like, Kuzma is the guy yeah. that they expect to be to be their sixth man and to come in and they, they feel like they're walking on the court with seventy five points between Kuzma, AD, and LeBron James. I think the big question for LeBron James is how does he move this year? I've heard he's down 20, 25 pounds. Um, And then if you, if if, I I think defensively, they could be very good. You put Avery Bradley on the ball 
You have you try and hide LeBron. Anthony Davis can yeah. erase mistakes. Danny Green's obviously a plus defender. I think you have other good defenders, you know, on that team. Kuzma's not one of them. Uh, but Anthony Davis can defend the rim, and Avery Bradley can defend the ball. You start there. You're in pretty, and Danny Green can guard whoever's best player. He's not not peak Danny Green, but he's not bad. I think he's pretty good defensively. I, what I struggle with is who's going to create shots other than LeBron. And even LeBron at this stage in life, like he kind of has to do the bully ball or post up thing to to create shots more than he used to be kind of a freak athlete as he's lost a step. I just I guess maybe are they depending on Anthony Davis to create who creates shots plays downhill for other people. So that so when you were saying this, what I was thinking is if the Lakers, it's going to sound maybe uh, more ironic than it should, but if the Lakers are going to be the best team in the West, Anthony Davis probably needs to be the MVP of the league and, and maybe even the leading scorer. He, they, he's got to be that guy. He can't create his own shot. He can, get, he can do whatever he wants on the court. He's an incredible testament to uh, how people – I mean, he scored – he made one field goal in his last game at Kentucky. Now, he was a freshman, but he made one field goal in that championship game. Uh, he is an incredible offensive player now and still ascending. So uh, I think he needs to be the guy that gets the most shots. I think the team needs to revolve around him. If you remember uh, when LeBron first got to Miami, they struggled at first for a few different reasons. I I always thought that LeBron, uh, Wade Curring, was incredible and would no doubt succeed. He did not do great that first maybe six weeks or so until Wade kind of publicly and privately said, LeBron's a better player on this team. And, right. and if we kind of look at him, let him lead, I'd like to see LeBron admit, I'd like him to say day one, the best player in the world right now is Anthony Davis, and we're going to prove it every night. Uh, I, th- I think that might be the LeBron reason he gave him his number. I think that might be the reason he gave him his number. I, I agree with you. But, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that'd be smart for him to do. And then it answers your question. Everything, everything starts with Davis. Uh, I asked you about point guard. LeBron's always been kind of a, a primary ball handler. That's yes. not going to change, nor should right. it. Uh, so the Rondo thing, I, I never understood that, although he is ridiculously smart, and, and that'll make some difference. When you say Kuzma, I, I agree with you. I've always thought Kuzma has to be the six-man guy, but he can't do what Lou Williams does, did by, does by himself, nor can KCP. But combined, if they just right. let those guys go as scorers in that second group, um, obviously, Davis got to play with him some because of his defensive abilities, and we'll see if they get a Godala. That's that's right. That's one of the bigger questions. What happens now? Does Chris Paul go somewhere to a contender, and where does Godala go? Uh, that, and it's not that Godala is great anymore. He he can be great defensively. He can struggle no, a lot but, offensively. But, but he. Like he can he can raise his level when it matters. Yeah, no doubt. When it when it matters, he can raise his level. Uh, Last thing we got about we got about a minute and a half. Last thing. Okay. Um, can you can you explain to me what the Seventy Sixers did? Like, I don't. I I get during the regular season it gives them the ability to rest uh, their best player, but how do you play at the end of a game with two centers? So, yeah, I can't explain it. Uh, and I wrote about this actually a week ago when they first got him. And I said that he's, uh, like, they, to me, they did better than Brooklyn did. We'll see in a year and a half if Durant can play and how they, how they pair up. I'm not fond of that pairing. But basically, the world champion Toronto Raptors got crushed by Philadelphia when MB was on the court. They lost by 20 points for 100 possessions. They got destroyed when MB was on the, MB was on the court. And then Toronto made all their hay when MB was off the court. And, of course, it was a seven-game series. 
that won't be a problem anymore. I, I don't know if they'll play both guys together in the fourth quarter. They don't have to because they can play Harris at the four. But, but Horford's a floor spacer. He's very comfortable being a facilitator on the floor. He also can lead the break. Brilliant defender and a space defender. In other words, he, he takes up space and cuts off angles and makes you veer around him. And then when you're focused on him, that's when Embiid comes from behind or up top and blocks the shot or at least influences even more. Uh, so I think he'll play come, I think he'll be the first guy out in major games and then play with the second group. So there's always going to be, uh, you know, an anchor defensively for a team that desperately needed one. And, uh, and he doesn't need the ball very much to be effective. So I think it works out very, I think they're going to be fantastic. I think they're one of two, them and Milwaukee to win the East absent another deal. Uh, 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 Westbrook goes to Miami, still wouldn't have done it. It's a two-team race right now in the East. Awesome stuff. David, can't wait to see your next stuff and read your next stuff at truehoop.com. In the meantime, we appreciate you giving us your analysis here on the All Ball Podcast. Thanks, Doug. Be good. Take care. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at noon Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. TBT, the basketball tournament, which gets underway. I know I'm coaching next weekend in Greensboro. Uh, Nick Elam, who is the inventor and founder of the Elam Ending, joins us. It's become uh, kind of a summer celebration of hoop. Nick, thanks so much for joining us in the All Ball Podcast. Um, hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. I know you're not one of the founders of TBT, but give me the – do you know how, how did it all start? Because I had a buddy um, who played at Princeton – and they had this idea for an alumni tournament. This is going back to the early 2000s. Like, take all the alumni from all of these college teams and guys that somehow go, go off into business, some play overseas, and come back and play against other schools that you played against maybe in the NCAA tournament. It was going to be in Vegas. I just I wondered how, this, how the idea, how it all kind of came to be in 2014. Yeah, so for John Mugar and Dan Friel, I think that their uh, concept was that you know, any anybody can form a team and enter a tournament, and the winner takes home a, a big prize in this winner-take-all tournament. That was really the appeal. What set it apart was that it was winner-take-all. And I think even then they didn't quite know what they had or what was going to be, um, you know, what would take it to the next level. I think as the years went on, as more alumni teams did start to form, I think that that's created more of a following. And what was great is that in those early years, uh, the the term, you know, TBT was really uh, gaining positive momentum. It really uh, was becoming a, a well-known event, and so that's why it meant so much for me that in 2017, you know, here they they already have this thriving event, and going into 2017, after I had reached out to them and proposed the concept of the Elam ending, that they decided to implement it on an experimental basis. Um, you know, again, it wasn't because they needed to do it; it was because they really wanted to do it. They wanted to to try and innovate and move to the next level. And then uh, after they saw how it worked on a limited basis in 2017, then to go full speed ahead for their full event in 2018, and then here again in 2019 using the Elam ending. So for me, that's always been the, the best endorsement that the format can get is for somebody to take a chance on it and to implement it in their own event. And that's what uh, they've done at TBT. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be interesting. So, uh, obviously, I'm getting a coach in this thing, Coach Team 23. We take on Power of the Paw, which is a Clemson alumni. That's uh, on Friday, July 19th. That'll be on ESPN. Fun. And, okay, so the Elam, so for people who don't know, 
you're a, a professor, right? You were a teacher at the time that this came to be. Like, how did how did you give me the when you came up with the hey, this is how we should end a basketball? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I first devised the idea, I guess, when I was a teacher, and then since then I, I moved on to be a school principal. Now I'm a professor, but uh, really the first kind of big discussion about this was way back when I was a senior at the University of Dayton, and I was a diehard Dayton Flyers fan, and I've been a lifelong basketball fan, and all my roommates were all big sports fans. So we're sitting around watching March Madness and, uh, you know, watching games just end, you know, like we had seen so often before. And that day, it just happened to be Elite Eight Sunday. I remember it was Duke and Xavier. And, you know, here we had this great game that once you get to the to the closing minutes, you know, it just totally warps into a totally different style of play and, and quite frankly, I think, an inferior style of play where the leading team stalls and plays very passively the trailing team now they get so desperate when they're on defense they have to foul and hand away three points uh when they're on offense they have to rush and force up ugly shots uh and sometimes it makes very slim deficits very difficult to overcome and a lot of really big games and good games just kind of end with a whimper so we're kind of looking at each other saying you know this is just really kind of a weird way to end games even though we we had become accustomed to it being big sports fans at the time well we didn't have any solutions at the time but it was a few years later I'm thinking about it a little bit more where in 2007 I thought, well, maybe, you know, all these different things that we see at the end of the game, it's an effort to manipulate the game clock. So maybe if you just got rid of the clock during the last stretch of the game, maybe that would address a lot of these concerns. So that's how it started. And then really kind of researching and kind of tinkering with the idea, looking more into, um, you know, gathering some data on NBA games and NCAA games and, uh, and then, Really, once out, felt very confident in the format that it was sound, that it was necessary. Then reaching out to people in the basketball world and trying to get somebody to take a chance on it, and finally, a few years later, uh, TBT did. Okay, so so for people who haven't seen the Elam ending and maybe no, okay, under four minutes to go, right? The team who's sure. leading has to score how many points? So again, the. the you know, we can say, well, you're going to play most of the game with the clock and you're going to play the last part of the game without a clock. That begs two questions. Well, okay, so when do you shut off the clock and what do you play to? The, le- the, the settings would actually vary based on the league or the event. It would kind of depend on what their style of play is. But for TBT, uh, what we are going with here in 2019 is that once you get past that four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, the next stoppage, we're going to go ahead and shut off the clock. Then we're going to set a target score, and that target score is equal to the leading team score plus eight. So, for example, let's say that the score is uh, 65 to 60. When you get to that first stoppage under four minutes, okay, we're going to get rid of the clock. It's still 65 to 60, but now we're going to play first team to 73 wins the game. And the idea is if you've got the lead, you can't just stall and play passively. You have to keep playing assertively to try to get that target score. If you're behind, you don't have to uh, foul and hand away free points when you're on defense. You don't have to rush and force up ugly shots when you're on offense. That whole combination of factors makes late comebacks more likely, makes the outcome of games less predictable, and every game is, is going to end with the swish of a net. So you're going to have more memorable game-ending moments. So uh, that whole—that's how it, you know, is it's supposed to work on paper. And so it's been—it's been a thrill for me to see now that it's gone from paper to the court here in TBT to see that it is meeting all those primary aims and even a handful of secondary aims. That So it's looking good, not just in theory, but now in practice. 
And so now I'm, I'm looking at ways uh, to make the format even better going forward. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about the positive momentum it has. Okay, so what are a couple of the – it's interesting because guys develop um, a strategy with it, right? And so the first strategy is whoever's leading calls the timeout under four, right, so that they can as soon as, – as soon as they get the basketball so that they can set the, the, the target score, Correct. Right. That's been a, that's been a common strategy is, yeah, if you've got a lead, once you get that first opportunity to call timeout and initiate that untimed portion of the game, go ahead and do it. Honestly, I don't have any, I don't have any problem with that. I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's, uh, really a drawback to the format necessarily. No, but you could, and I've, I've thought about this, right? You could, if you go down and you get a bucket, you would kind of extend, you give yourself a little bit bigger buffer and then, right? Like a part of it creates, Okay, it's only eight points. Only you know potentially three buckets, you know maybe max four, um, or you can get yourself a little bit bigger cushion if they expect you to call a timeout. Kind of like the, it's the the fake spike play. Remember the famous Dan Marino fake spike play, fake the spike, and could you dribble up like you're going to call a timeout and then quickly score a layup, and then and then uh, and and then you create a stoppage, and now you have a bigger cushion so that you protect yourself against comeback. So you could. Now we haven't seen a team try that, and so far, even though you know the common strategy is to call a timeout, still it seems like the defenses are still on their toes there. Even if they're expecting their opponent to call a timeout, they're still ready uh, to, to prevent any kind of uh, you know kind of a fake spike play. But that would be interesting if a team tried that. I haven't seen that yet. Um, and, okay, and so honestly, are there, uh, and, yeah. and uh, so, so to go along with that, I, I really give a lot of credit to John Mugar and the folks at TPT because they want to take a very patient approach with the format. Because I've I've actually um, proposed kind of a handful of different modifications to it, and they said, well, they, they've told me, hey, you know, let's let it play out, let's let teams kind of push the limits of the format and see if we have uh, something to address here. They don't want to overregulate it too quickly. But, you know, if, if something r- does arise that would create a concern, we do have, you know, kind of a plan B in place for, for different things. So that, that's what's exciting to me is that, um, you know, I'm actually looking at it with more of kind of a critical eye and more scrutiny than even TBT is. So that tells me that, uh, you know, it's working well because they're the ones ultimately that have something to gain or lose uh, by how well this format works. Biggest comeback with this format so far? So one thing that I thought was just a thrill was in just I'm trying to think back to 2017. So this is either the, it was either the fifth or sixth game ever that uh, Elam ending had been put in place, and there was a Rutgers alumni team facing uh, another team called Silver Springs Willows Runners. I'll just call them Silver Springs. But anyway, uh, Silver Springs goes into the um, the uh, Elam ending up by 13 points, and so then we're shutting off the clock. Instantly, the, the Rutgers alumni team goes on a 14 nothing run to take the lead, and then it goes back and forth until we get this uh, sudden death situation, essentially. Uh, and Silver Springs did end up winning that game. So even though Rutgers came back you know, to overcome a 13-point deficit, they didn't win there. But one game from last year, and, and you know, this is just one of several examples, uh, there was a game that was, again, just unbelievable between – um, primetime players and always a brave. Always a brave was a Bradley alumni. Bradley, team. right? Yeah. So, so the Bradley team goes in to the Elam and they're up fifty nine fifty. 
uh, playing a 66 because last year we used a plus seven model. It gets it, the game proceeds to where later on it's 64-57. Again, just playing a 66. So primetime players they really have their backs up against the wall. They go on an 11 nothing run and win the game on a three pointer. And wow. uh, again, it was just the fact that you know, as long as they can continue to get defensive stops then you're still in the game. So I don't necessarily think it's going to lead to this avalanche of additional comebacks, but I do think it is going to lead to kind of a healthy uptick because, again, as long as you can get stops and scores, you're truly still in the game. And I think one thing that's cool is whether there's a comeback or not, uh, the end of the game is a little bit more satisfying just because we're seeing a more natural style of play late in the game. Yeah, the, the only thing, and like, look, I would just, I agree with you. I don't like guys dribbling out the clock, but the shot clock does have a tendency to even that thing out, especially an NBA shot clock. I guess, you know, when you learn basketball, you learn time, score, and possession. Right? Understanding your time and score, and there is a certain math to it. I don't mind the yield ending. I just, you know, I, I do think it, it does take away from the purity of how the sport has evolved and created. doesn't mean that there's not room for it. That's just kind of my, it's always been my general takeaway. I'm excited to coach it to see how it feels and, and, and the strategy to it and to learn about it myself. Well, and, and trust me, you, you don't have to apologize at all for, for offering any kind of uh, you know, scrutiny because, again, it took me a while to sell myself on the idea. And it, it actually it, it reached a point after a while where I thought, you know what, this modified version of basketball, Elam ending, th- this looks more like real basketball than what we see under the regular format. And there are games, you know, games I watch all the time that kind of reaffirm my thought. And one of them would be you know, game six of the NBA Finals this year. We have – this thrilling game coming down to the wire at the time it was a one point game. And then you, you think about the final sequence of this, of this championship clinching game where you get a, a golden state calling a timeout because they're so desperate to stop the clock. They call a timeout that they didn't even have. So then you have to administer a technical free throw. Then Toronto gets to inbound the ball. And then you get the quick foul from golden state. Well, now the time expires. So then the officials have to go to the monitor to put time back on the clock. Right. Then you administer those free throws, yep. and then you end up with this kind of a meaningless shot. And it's like this is this is kind of a, a silly way to end a uh, championship and to think, man, this could have come down to kind of a sudden death situation. Um, you know, next bucket wins. I think that that would have you know, I think that, that would have been a much uh, better and and to use your word, I think it would have been a purer way to end the game than kind of the mess that we saw at the end of Game Six. I I, I kind of I kind of uh, uh, I kind of agree with you. So. Well, it's a fa- it's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, give me one modification, as you talked about, that you potentially would love to see, whether in this tournament or in others. So one is um, a one example of a situation where um, you know so we've had some situations that come down to what I call a sudden death situation, where both teams are anywhere within three points of that target score. Well, one very specific scenario would be where the offense is exactly three points away and then the defense is one or two points away from the target score. Uh, Now, in that case, what we've seen in some cases, not every case, but in some cases, the the defense will foul to prevent a game-winning three-pointer in that case. Well, you know, again, I would still say that that's a little bit more forgivable than the, the repeated fouling we see under the regular format. It's not a repeatable strategy it would occur in much fewer games. It's still kind of 
after, once you get past the free throws, it, it sets up a thrilling finish, which we don't always see under the regular format. But I would still like to see that particular situation, that scenario, play out more fluidly. And so what I would do in, in a situation like that where you're down to that uh, sudden death scenario, I would essentially kind of outlaw fouls on the floor. Now, what you know, the, you know, technically fouls on the floor are against the rules anyway, any, any foul is. But what I would say is in that particular case, if you commit a foul on the floor – in that situation, to prevent a game-winning three-pointer, then do something like you get one shot in the ball, something like that. Take away the incentive like to commit the foul in that particular situation just so we can see that uh, sudden death situation play out more fluidly. But, again, that's getting into the weeds a little bit there. That's one of those things where I, I bring it to TBT, and, and they're like, well, you know, don't get, let's not get too far ahead of this thing here. Let's not overregulate it until we even know whether we have a problem or not. But that's – that's one uh, way I could see in future versions of the Elam ending having that minor modification. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. Well, Nick, I can't wait to coach in the tournament. It's going to be truly a thrill for me. And uh, I'll be back on. I'll tell you what I think after having experienced it. That's great. Thanks so much. Good luck. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. All right, that's it for the All Ball Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. Download, subscribe, and rate, and tell your friends What a crazy free agency season we've had in the NBA. We'll get back to longer form summer conversations upcoming next week. Remember, make sure you listen to the Doug Gottlieb show daily from 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Sirius XM. It's on the Dan Patrick uh, channel. I think that's 217 and 203, depending on what you have, Sirius or XM. You can also uh, listen to it on iTunes. Download that pod. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. And this is All Ball. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.